you will, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This week and next week on Sunday morning, we will be talking about the story of Christmas. This morning, a very simple message entitled, Grace Upon Grace. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's a simple message, and you're going to say that I lied to you when I got get through because of John 1 is one of those verses that some people look and never understand. Hopefully, we will understand it very clearly today as we work through our text and hear a message entitled, Grace Upon Grace. If you have found John chapter 1, if you will please stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Verse 1 reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you will, scoot down to verse 14. The Word became flesh. It took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. May God add the blessing to the reading and study of his word. Thank you, Van. Let's pray together as we begin our service this morning. Father, it's my prayer that, first of all, that you'll do nothing except remove me from the equation. I pray that you'll take me and hide me behind the cross, that you'll speak your words and not ours because you're who we need to hear from. I pray that as this passage opens to us, I pray that we will understand how you've given us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And that out of thankful and grateful hearts, that we will come to you in complete and absolute surrender. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, here we are at Christmas time. Can you believe it's Christmas? Did it sneak up on anybody? It did me. Just so you know that I've taken care of business. I went, I went on the other side of the world yesterday, for those who are curious. Uh, little Lindsay Pearson got married yesterday. She was a beautiful bride. She married a young man that she met right here in January of 2010 when we had our lay renewal weekend. Billy Rickett came as part of the team for the lay renewal. They met that weekend. And uh, I'm not going to tell you it's been uh, three years, four years of just bliss because I think they split one time, but then they got back together and God put them together and it was just a delightful uh, wedding. And on the way back, I took care of my Christmas shopping. Now, men, I have this down to a science. I'll write a book one day. My Christmas shopping involves one gift. Does everybody know who it's for? For my wife. She buys everything else. And this year, she told me what she wanted. Just as we've been talking the last couple of months, she said, you know what I'd really like is, and I'm not telling you because you'd never keep a secret, and I bought it yesterday. What do you think of when you think of Christmas? 
Most of us, most in America, most people think of lights, tinsel, bell, presents, trees, a uh, fat man running around in a white suit. We, we think of those things, and, and yet I, it is those things that have become so front and center that we become so commercialized that I, could, that I suggest to you this morning, I'll submit it to you, that we're confused about Christmas these days. In fact, I read three, two or three stories that brought smiles to my face that, uh, uh, that illustrate just how confused we get about Christmas sometimes. There's a, one story where a young, young minister's wife carried their three children to the Christmas parade. Christmas parade was in town yesterday and made me think of this. Carried three children to the Christmas parade, and she was a little disturbed when her youngest one kept hollering, Happy Halloween! Another man posted something on Facebook. May I read it to you? He said, we just set up the Fisher-Price nativity scene and told the children the Christmas story. I asked him to tell the story back to us and asked if they understood the story. Now I was awaiting a great parenting moment. A little CJ looked confused and he asked, where's the big bad wolf? Have you ever had that happen in your house? The last story I read was really more sobering and more potent and more telling. It was really telling the story about a cartoon this person had seen. Two houses decorated for Christmas. The one had Santa on the top, lights in the yard, a snowman in the yard, and there was a sign in the yard that said, Merry Xmas. House A. House B was a very simple, simply decorated with a lighted manger. And the caption was written under the first house as the couple looked out the window and said with a little disdain, some people try to put religion in everything. You know, folks, I'm afraid that may be our problem today. I'm afraid that mankind tries to put religion into everything And the problem is, Jesus put religion into nothing. He was never about religion. In fact, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, his harshest critics were the religious leaders who ultimately put him to death. Jesus was not about religion. He was about relationships. Relationships, God to man and man to man. And today, as we look at our text, it jumped out at me there in verse... 16, once again, we're back to the Holman Christian Standard who verbalizes a little different. It calls it grace after grace, and I really like the term grace upon grace. Don't you like that? Grace upon grace. Now, here's what we know. If you've been in this church any time during the eight years I've pastored, we know together that mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? On the other side of the coin, grace is us receiving what we don't deserve. Now, think about that. So, grace is us receiving what we don't deserve. So, then grace upon grace is that here's the truth. We get what we don't deserve. And just when we think we're full of what we don't deserve, we get a little more of what we don't deserve. Let me give it to you in spiritual terms. We didn't deserve God's only son, Jesus, in a manger. But not only did God send his son, Jesus, in a manger, he sent his son to die for us. 
So we got the the grace of God sending his son, and then his son died for us. And then on top of that, he he offers to forgive us of our sin. And not only that, he offers to save us from hell. Not only that, he offers to reconnect us with God. Not only that, he offers to give us abundant life on earth. Not only that, he offers to give us eternal life in heaven. Folks, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. My generation would have said the beat goes on. The gifts keep coming. And why is this? It's because of the one whose birthday we celebrate. It's because of Jesus. Now, you know, I realize who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people, no matter who you are in this room. I'm talking to people who are in the upper 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Dot Henderson and I were talking about it on Friday. Used to, you could figure out what to buy somebody for Christmas because you knew what they needed. Today, everybody plays this game at Christmas. Isn't it sad? What do you buy for someone who has everything they need and most of what they want? And for these people, for, for us people... The real question is, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need to trust Jesus? What is Jesus going to do for me? What is this grace upon grace? And I think it's all all tied up in our scripture today. I think it's tied up in the verse 1, if you just want to know, if you still got your Bibles open. It says, in the beginning was the, say it with me, word. Do it again. In the beginning was the It's all centered around this word. I mean, I'm going to tell you, theologians have debated it for years. And before I get to the Bible itself identifying the word, here's what I want to say to you about this this word. In 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 the Greek language, it literally means word, expression, thought, concept, or, or the like, speech. But I want to remind the older generation, I am sorry, teenagers. I find myself apologizing to you for the world we're leaving you. But the older generation remembers this. You remember when a man's word was his bond. If he told you it, you could count on it. Mark it down. Take it to the bank. In fact, believe it or not, in earlier days, Houses and lands were bought and sold on a handshake and the word of a man. I'm reminded of what I, of what I read somewhere, that those that we traditionally called Indians, today they're called Native Americans. Neither one of those terms in my heart means a slander. They were the folks who were here. And they said, you know, before white men got here, a man's word was his bond, and white men came, and, and today we have to write down everything that you say, and the only reason we write it down and sign it is so it later can be used against us in a court of law. How sad we have denigrated. But may I say this to you? Please listen. Our word, our word should be who we are. Now, the word here is a person. Did you get that? We didn't read it today, but watch this. Go back to John if you're there. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Well, what is he talking about? Then John clears it up, and he says, He, the word, 
was with God. So he's talking about the word here is Jesus. He is the second person in the Godhead. He is the, he is the baby in the manger. He is the savior of the world. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one who offers us hope and life. This morning we're talking about grace upon grace from the word and that word is none other than Jesus himself. So understanding that the word is Jesus, let me give this to you in three slices, okay? Something I can digest, something you can digest. Let's begin our thoughts just for the next few minutes with the beginning of the Word. The beginning of the Word. This text says, in the beginning was the Word. And it's more than interesting to me, and I hope it's not lost on you, that John begins his story of Jesus the same way that God had Moses begin the story of the Bible. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. You know, it does matter how something starts. It matters where it comes from. We sit in a church today, and it matters about where Jesus came from. Most cults today, all cults today, I'll go out on a limb, every cult today has a founder. You know what every founder has in common? Has a birthday. Watch this. Joe Smith of the Mormons was born December the 23rd, 1805. Buddha was born in Nepal around 623 B.C. Charles Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses was born February 16th, 1852. For those who like him, Tom Cruise's Scientology founder, Ronald Hubbard was born March 13th, 1911. And this is just a few of them. We could go on and on. Every person who founded any kind of belief system have stated birthdays. It's when life began for them. As an aside and, a, and just to remind you, they also, these guys all have something else in common. They have an occupied grave. Did y'all hear that? Jesus in the beginning was the word. He doesn't have an occupied grave. Oh, he occupied one, but he's no longer there. You see, the truth is, in the beginning, Jesus was God. Jesus was with God because Jesus is God. You know, Brother Jerry, I know this. Do we really? Do you really realize that you can't go back in time or space beyond the time when Jesus existed? Before I pass this point and move on to something else, I just want to say this something to you as we're talking about the Word, the beginning of the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? With his Word. It says, verse 1 says he created the heavens and the earth, and then verse 2 and following tells him how he did it. But watch this. He spoke it into being. He said, let there be. Let there be light, and there was. Now, I don't know who heard it. I don't know who responded to it. I don't know how that happened. I just know that God spoke it by the very force of his word. You see, our God, the one that we stand here and sit here today, that we worship, that we celebrate, this God is the amazing, incredible, invincible, almighty creator God who rules and reigns. Are you impressed yet? If you're not... Let me give you one more thing. God is also a God of love and mercy. 
God is a God of love and mercy. I want to just build this case just a little bit. Would you listen? Many of the other belief systems have their congregants trying to become a God. At the end of their life, they become God if they've done right. But watch this. It is only our God, Jehovah God, the God of creation, that wanted to reach us so much that he became man. He left no stone unturned. He did what only our God does. He set man on its head, and he came and was man. That's the beginning. He was there in the beginning, but then moved to the becoming of the word. He has been, always will be. In the beginning was the word, but watch this, verse 14. The word became flesh. It is one thing for a married couple to desire a baby. It is one thing for a wife to become expecting with a baby. And it's entirely another thing when that baby gets here. I'll never forget when Christy was born and the months leading up to it, my pastor and I talked and he said, you don't understand something. Your life is about to change forever. Could I get an amen, parents? <laughs> the truth is, the truth is, God, the Son, left heaven and came to earth. If that's not amazing enough. Come on, hang on. He left heaven and he came to earth through the womb of a little teenage virgin girl. I have to have no imagination at all to tell you this. Right in this room, we have heard that so much, so often, sung it so much and so often that we've lost the wonder, the magnitude, and the miraculous nature of Jesus coming to earth. Jesus left heaven and he came as a baby. He came as flesh. Somebody that we could, that we could touch. Somebody that we could study. Somebody that, we could, somebody that we could know. And he walked with mankind. Do you know why he walked with mankind? So that we could see the Father. He wanted us to see God the Father. Somebody goes, well, I don't think that's any big deal. You know, Jesus came to earth. He was born. Well, the world thinks it's a big deal. Have you ever thought about it? Time is divided by Jesus. We call the days before Jesus B.C. Just about everybody calls that before Christ. We call the time since Jesus A.D. Now, I won't tell you what I was taught in church. That was after death, but that's not really what it means. It means Anno Domini. It's a, it's a medieval Latin term that means in the year of our Lord, and sometimes it is more completely spoken, Anno Domini Nostris Jesu Christi, which means in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Don't let it pass you. The point is Jesus came in the flesh, and when he came in the flesh, he changed the world. The atheist, the godless, 
the godless governments may try to take Jesus out of the equation. But I'm just telling you, folks, you better pitch your tent with the right one because Jesus is here to stay. In his coming, in his living, and in his dying, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies given hundreds of years before he came to this earth. He came to show us the Father. He came, us to point, he came to point us to the Father. He came to bridge the gap between sinful man and holy God. He came to link us to Jesus and no, and to, and no other God has gone so far to bridge the gap. So in the minutes that remain, the real heart of what I want to say to you today is yet to be said. We have built the case for the beginning of the word, Jesus. He's been here before time began. He was God. He was with God. He, he was there with God. And then he became the word on earth as he became flesh and dwelt among us. But I want you to see number three, the blessing of the word. The blessing of the word. It's found in verse 16. All of it is found in verse 16. It says, Indeed, we have all received. We have all received. We have all received grace after grace from his fullness. Now, I'm going to kind of turn it on its head, and if you'll give me about 10 minutes, we'll be done. I want you to see, first of all, the source of, of this blessing. It's not on the screen. It's not, you just got to listen and follow along. See the source of his blessing. Holman Christian Standard holds it to last. The last three words, it says, from his fullness. From his fullness. So the question, it begs the question, what is Jesus full of? I mean, don't you remember your mom and dad getting a little full of you? Has your mother ever said this to you? I have had it up to here with you. <laughs> no, it's never happened. Okay, the sermon next week will not be a Christmas sermon. It will be a sermon on lying, so you please come, all right? I want to tell you this. If your parents never said it to you, they got full up of you. They had about enough of you. Do you know what Jesus is full up to here with? It tells us. In verse 14, it says, He is full of grace and truth. I can't think of anything else we need any more than grace and truth. You know, we're not big on the idea of truth these days. In fact, the average teenager don't believe there's anything as absolute truth. And you know where they learn that from? From a bunch of us lying adults. But Jesus comes and he gives us truth and he gives us absolute truth. He tells us things we may want to know. He tells us things that we obviously don't want to know. And here's the truth, guys. And we better deal with it and not dismiss it. The truth is we are sinful beings. 
The truth is that we displease God. The truth is we're in need of forgiveness. The truth is we're in need of help to get back to God. The truth is we cannot do it by ourselves. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough status. We don't have enough position. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough words. We don't have enough money in the bank. We need a Savior. It's hard for us to digest because we have so many good things. It's really hard for us to digest because we think, man, if I just come to church every week and I give them money and I go, maybe I go to Sunday school if I'm really spiritual, I come on Sunday nights, please don't miss tonight, then everything's going to be okay. My good will outweigh my bad. That's not the way it works, folks. We still need a Savior. Brother Jerry, you don't understand. I have a family. I have a car. I have a house. I have a retirement. I have everything I need. Well, that's great. Let me ask you this question. What are you going to have when that's gone? All of us in our financial security. I I I thought about it this week, kind of prayed over it. Those of us above 40... We're so locked in to this country that we don't think this country is ever going to fold. And I'm just going to tell you something. I get frightened when I think 10 years down the road right now in this country. The only thing, the only thing that keeps me going is maybe Jesus will come back. You know, when Piper started being Piper around age two or three, Christie's prayer ever since that day, she'll tell you this with a big old smile on her face. She said, I'm praying for Jesus to come before she becomes a teenager. She may get her prayer. If she doesn't get her prayer, I'm afraid we're in trouble. What's going to happen when that retirement account that you depend on so much is gone? What's going to happen when the freedom of religion that you, that you and I seem to take for granted is gone? What's going to happen when you have to register to attend church? What's going to happen when it threatens your life to serve Jesus? You see, the truth is we need help. The truth is that we need a Savior. The truth is that we need to be prepared to meet him. What's going to happen when this life passes you by, whether you're 18 or 88? What's going to happen when you stand face to face with God? What's going to happen when you're facing judgment? Oh, Brother Jerry, you just don't worry about me. Oh, but I do. Oh, but I do. It's nothing to you, preacher. Well, if you think that, you don't know anything about the call of God. Tomorrow morning, like most Monday mornings, when I sit in my office and I begin to open my Bible and begin to pray, you know the first picture that comes to my mind? This one right here. My prayer is always the same. Lord, did I give enough gospel that if there's someone sitting in that worship center, if they were to die today, do they know that they'd go to heaven? Were there people sitting in front of me that's just kind of playing the game and walking along, giving a good appearance? Lord, I pray not. 
You see, the truth is we need a Savior. Jesus is full of truth, but he's also full of grace. Aren't you glad of that? Jesus is full of grace. He came to offer us what we don't deserve. He came to give us what we couldn't even imagine. If you were to receive Jesus this morning, if you were to trust him this morning, it might be the greatest Christmas gift you've ever given yourself. Offers hope, forgiveness, life, help, eternity, abundant life here. You get a friend called the Holy Spirit. No matter how good or bad it goes, the Holy Spirit will be there with you. You know what it requires? requires repentance and surrender. Just started rereading a book by Andrew Murray, Absolute Surrender. I'm convinced that the very reason we don't surrender to God is because we don't really trust him. You know, I can't really trust God because if he gets totally control of my life, I may have to change something. Can I just let you off the hook about this change deal? You change every day whether you like it or not. Life is about change. So if you're going to be changed anyway, may I just suggest to you that the Lord may be the one who needs to be doing the changing, not you. The source of blessing. Jesus, his fullness, full of grace and truth. The scope of his blessing is number two. It's, it says right here, and I love it. People take issue with this, and it's just written all through the Bible. It says in verse 16, we have all, A-L-L, received. May I say this to you? It seems to me that every time I open a page of God's word, it's for all. The angel saying, peace, goodwill for a few men. Oh, man. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. The scope of the blessing is that Jesus didn't just come just for a few. He came for all. As as I've told you many times, and I didn't think this up, but when I heard it, it resonated with me. And it's the most fair thing about how to get to heaven, how to get eternal life, how to have abundant life, how to trust Jesus. Everybody's welcome, and everybody comes the same way. Everybody's welcome, and everybody comes the same way. That's the scope, all. And then let's end with the substance. What is this blessing? What is this blessing that Jesus offers us? It is what we call salvation. And when, you're, when you, somebody is your salvation, that means they save you from something. But Jesus takes it. Here's his grace upon grace. He saves you from hell and saves you to heaven. Hello. He saves you from a sin-filled life, and he saves you to a forgiven life. Hello. I don't know if that sounds good to you. It sounds mighty fine to me. He He forgives you, but that's not all. He restores your relationship to God, but that's not all. 
He gives you a home in heaven, but that's not all. He gives that home in heaven for all eternity, but that's not all. He gives you abundant life here, but that's not all. You see, folks, you can go on and on, and that's the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's the Word. That's our Savior. That's God our Father. When you say yes to him, he opens up the windows of heaven. And he says, just see if you can outgive me. Just try. If you would completely surrender and sell out to this one, your life may never be the same. And this Christmas season could be the greatest Christmas you've ever experienced. Let's pray together.